Deuteronomy chapter 32 tonight. And I want to preach to you for a few moments on what we ought to do with the Word of God. You know, there are a lot of uh, varying opinions about that. The infidels would tell us we need to tear it apart and throw it away. The liberals would tell us that we need to get in there and change it till it's more relevant. And uh, Bible believers know what we ought to do with it. I want to be a Bible believer. Amen? I want to know that we ought to read it, believe it, obey it, live it. And uh, we have a little message here from Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that I believe will help us to see how we should respond to the Word of God. Let's begin reading in verse number 45, and we'll read down to verse 47 and pray. The Word of God says this, And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to Israel. Now, what words is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. He spoke all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray that you would bless and use your word in our hearts this evening. Lord, help us to be yielded and help us to allow you to examine, to diagnose, Lord, to pronounce upon us the areas of our life that need to be yielded to you. Father, we love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we find that this portion of Scripture is to the book of Deuteronomy, and we might even say to the entirety of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, what the last few verses of the book of Ecclesiastes are, to Solomon's search through secular humanism for the meaning of life. You know, Solomon purposes in his heart and mind that he's going to uh, find out what life is. And he tries to do that through happiness, through pleasure, through philosophy, through knowledge. And as he comes to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he declares the sum of the whole matter. And he says it's to fear God and to serve Him wholly. What Solomon is saying is he's saying, as I look back over the whole spectrum of my experience, what now? He says, well, now I found that the only thing to do is to love and serve God with the best of your ability. As we look at the first five books of the Bible, we find that they are history and narrative. We find that much of it is ceremonial law, much of it moral or social law, much of it uh, deals with the interactions of the nation of Israel with one another and with the world at large, and how they are to deal with man, and how they are to deal with God. And as you go through those first four books, you find all of the law is laid out, is revealed to humanity. The book of Deuteronomy is the repetition of the Old Testament law. In the first few books, the law is both revealed and recorded, and in Deuteronomy it is repeated. And Moses sets all of the nation of Israel down, and he goes through and he reads all of the Old Testament law. And when he comes to the close of it, he, he might say this, or we might ask this if we were in that group of people. We might say, okay, Moses, what now? We've heard the Word of God. It's been proclaimed to us. We know the truth about the matter. What now are we to do? And Moses, in a few short words, answers that they are to set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. Verse 47 says, For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life, and through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, 
whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Now, you might sit there and say, well, preacher, that's good, but what does that mean to me? But as I see this little group of believers gathered in a Baptist church on a rainy Wednesday night, I see people that are in much the same situation that the nation of Israel was. You see, for us, just as for them, we know and understand that the Word of God has been revealed to us. God has spoken from heaven. I think so oftentimes that gets lost in all of our religion, quote-unquote. The thought and the idea that God Himself has spoken from heaven, He has revealed to us His mind, His heart, and His will through His Word. You know, if you were raised like I was in a Christian home, then you were raised around the Word of God. And sometimes in the midst of that raising and that familiarity with the Word of God, you just lose sight of what a remarkable thing it is to have the written Word of God. You see, to us, God's Word has been revealed, but we have the blessing of also having the entirety of God's Word recorded for us. What a special time in human history it is that we can sit here tonight bound in beautiful leather, laid out in clear uh, clear type and print in front of us. Most of us, we've got a copy in our car. We've got a copy on every table in our home. We've got the copy that sits in our lap right now. The recorded Word of God is so prevalent and so available to us. If we want a beautiful, nice copy that's adorned in fine materials, we can go out and buy it. If we want a cheaper copy that is easy to distribute and pass around and hand and give away without any afterthought at a moment's notice, we can have copies like that. I mean, we are just saturated with the Word of God. What a blessing that is. You understand that the church has not always had that leisure and that liberty and that joy. There were times when the Word of God to them was scraps of paper that were passed around in secretude so that they might not be arrested uh, by local authorities. You understand that still to this day, there are places in, in the world where believers are meeting on a night like tonight, only they're not meeting in a comfortable, dry auditorium with air conditioning and heat and uh, with padded pews and with bright lights, but they're meeting in someone's home. They've had to travel under peril of darkness and under, uh, under threat of arrest so that they meet together around just a scrap of paper that contains the precious truth of the Word of God. They've gone to all that length because they know how precious it is. And here you and I sit. I don't say that to guilt you. I don't think we ought to feel bad over that, but I do think we ought to recognize what a blessing from God it is that we have the Word of God recorded for us sitting right here in front of us. But then I would remind you of this, that for many of us, Not just as we sit here listening to this message tonight, but as we come week after week and hear the preaching of the Word of God. Or maybe as you sit in your armchair at home and you open the Bible and you read it and you have the words poured into your heart and ears and mind, that the Word of God is constantly being repeated to us. You know, as Christian people, and I I can look around this room tonight, I mean, this is all people we know. We don't have any visitors, at least not in this service, and... Uh, You know, I look around and see, I see people that have the Word of God repeated to them pretty regularly. Whether it's in your own personal time or in a church house, whether it's through a a preacher on TV, if you can find one worth watching, or or a preacher on the radio, if you can find one worth listening to, or maybe you get on the Internet like so many do and hear sermons from all over the world. And constantly the Word of God is repeated into our ears. And the truth of God's Word is proclaimed into our hearts and minds. And I think the question that Moses might present to you and I, or we might present to him if he were here, is what now? We have the Word of God. It's revealed, recorded, repeated to us. What is it that we're to do with it? If we want it to be real and relevant and, and impactful in our lives, 
What is the pathway to doing it? I'll go ahead and tell you right now that there's people, and I know people, and I'm sure you do too, that they know this Bible better than ten preachers you could round up in an average fellowship meeting. But as far as having a real relationship with God, there's nothing to speak of in their life. People that have a head knowledge. Some of you that are in this room, you were raised in Roman Catholicism, and you had a head knowledge. Man, you knew the catechisms. You, you knew the things that were pumped into your mind. And you had a, a knowledge of it, but you did not have a relationship that resulted from that knowledge. What is going to make the difference? Just as we have all the resources, they had all the resources. What was it that they needed to do? Well, I want you to notice three things that Moses mentions, and I'll preach this and then we'll swim home. Somebody say amen to that. Look at verse number 46 and notice the very first thing that he says. And I think this is first in order for a reason. And he said unto them, set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Let me say first off that there is a proper response that we are to have to the word of God. How you respond to the word of God will determine what God can do with your life. I found this to be true, and, and, and I hope this doesn't seem crass or ugly when I say it. But I found this to be true, that, that a person that thinks they know everything, you can't teach them anything. One of the greatest pitfalls, one of the greatest obstacles to growing in your relationship with God, and I say this as a preacher, I say this as someone that plows and toils in the Word of God daily, is to believe that you have everything figured out and that there's nothing new that can be shared with you from the Word of God. Notice how Moses describes this. He says, set your hearts unto all the words. Let me say first off that we have to receive them. When he says, set your hearts, I believe what Moses is saying, or one of the things that he is saying, is he's saying both open and commit your heart to the task of receiving God's truth from His Word. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of this, that before the Word of God is ever a head matter, it is first and foremost a heart matter. You know, you can know all the truth. You can have all of the knowledge. But spiritually speaking, there's not as clear a path from your head to your heart as there is from your heart to your head. There are certain things that we know experientially because we have opened our heart and life to the truth of the Word of God. And I fear that so oftentimes when we approach the Word of God, we are approaching it so that we can know more of it, not so that we can know more of God and know more of ourselves in light of our relationship with God. When you approach the Word of God, whether it's in a sermon or whether it's in your private time, it ought to be for the purpose of allowing God to speak to your life, not just for Him to show you facts. Now, you know, I mean, if you've been around any amount of time around here, you know we're not afraid of of, of academic, if we can call it that, preaching the Word of God. Now, I'm not a smart man, and I don't proclaim to be, but we try to preach expositionally around here, and we try to understand what the Bible means, and we try to get a grasp of context, and we try to get a grasp of content, and we want to understand the history behind what we're reading, and uh, it's not enough just to twist something to get a few thoughts out. We want to know what God is saying in a particular passage of Scripture. And I'm not speaking critically about that. I think that is an appropriate approach to the Word of God. But if the result, if the end game in all that is merely to increase our knowledge, well, friend, knowledge puffeth up. And if all we've done is just fill our head with a bunch of facts without opening our heart to the truth and relevance of them, we've really done nothing at all. All we have done, listen carefully, is give ourselves a lot more to be accountable for on the day of the judgment seat of Christ. The whole goal in all of this is to have our hearts open to Christ and to have Him have more 
of us and who and what we are and for us to be made more like Him. We're to receive them. When we sit and read the Word of God, we're to ask, God, what are you saying to me and to my life? Lord, what is it in my life that you want changed, that you want altered, that you want surrendered so that I can become more Christ-like? And I'll tell you right now, if we're not approaching it that way, don't be surprised when the Word of God becomes boring to you. Uh, you know, some people have an attitude like the Word of God could never be boring. And I know why they say that. They want to be spiritual. They want to show reverence to the Word of God. But I'll tell you right now, I, I'll just level with you. When your heart isn't right, the Word of God gets real boring. That's when it becomes a bunch of lists and a bunch of facts. That's when it becomes just the history of remote people that have nothing to do with you or your heritage. That's when it just becomes about a few fishermen and a tax collector. Uh, That's when it just becomes a bunch of fables and stories. And there's a lot of folks that have an academic appreciation of the Word of God, but do not have a spiritual relationship with the Word of God. And it just grows to be boring to them. But when we open our hearts, you know what we find? We find that God speaks to us. And He speaks about us. He doesn't just speak things that we might find interesting, but He speaks things that deal with the very heart of who and what we are. And when we'll yield ourselves to the Word of God and place ourselves on the examination table, we'll find that God will always speak. We have this idea sometimes like God, you know, like He likes to clam up on us. (laughs) And and don't misunderstand me. There's times that, that for whatever reason God has been silent on a particular matter in my life. I'm not dismissing that. But sometimes we think God really plays hard to get. Do you understand there's nothing that God desires more for your life and mine than that we fall in love with Christ and His Word? That's what God is trying to do in our lives. And if we'll just yield to Him, I believe He'll be able to do that. I think we are to receive them. But then I think that Moses might have said this too, that we are not only to receive them, but we are to reckon things by them. And you say, what do you mean? Well, think about the usage of that word set. And in fact, see, think of the usage of the phrase unto. Can I substitute a few words just for an illustration? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not change them. You'll understand what I mean when I read it. But if we were to say this, set your hearts unto all the words, that means something to us. Can I change a few things and, and maybe place it this way? What if we were to say this, set your clocks or set your watch unto the clocks? You see, when we speak of setting something unto something, what we are speaking of is aligning something with something else, reckoning something by something. And I think one of the things that Moses might be trying to get us to understand is that for the Word of God to have impact in our lives, we must allow our lives to be adjusted and lived in light of the truth of the Word of God. Can I put it to you in a very clear, plain way? You might say, please do. (laughs) We are to have a biblical world view. How we perceive the world should be through the lens of God's inspired Word. We look around, there's a lot of things happening in this country. seems like everywhere you turn, and, I, and I'm guilty of it tonight. I said something to, to Taylor before the service started about politics, you know, and, and the, the primaries and everything. And it seems like everything that we see and talk about, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I mean, world leaders are being elected, and if you, if you broaden your scope to look beyond just what happens on this, on this continent and in this country, you'll find, I mean, if you look at the news, I mean, all over the world, dictators are falling, elections are taking place, sometimes uh, new dictatorships are being set up. How are we to view those things? How are we to perceive them? What about the world as it's changing socially and culturally? 
There are things going on in the world today that have never happened before. And I don't mean they've just not happened in that exact way. I mean things that are happening in this world today that have never happened before. Young people are growing up with a worldview totally alien to that of their parents and grandparents. Do you understand that while that has been the case for maybe a few generations, it has never been as drastic as it is today? You understand that 20, 30 years ago, the vast majority of society believed that whatever gender you was born as was the gender you stayed. But now children, I'm talking about kids that are my son's age and, and some of the other babies in this room, they're going to grow up in a world where the adults around them will tell them that gender is a fluid thing and whatever you want to be, that's what you become. Things as basic and fundamental as that are changing and shifting in the worldview of those that are around us. What is our worldview to be and to do? Do we look through the prism of whatever political climate that we prefer? Do we view things through the prism of whatever uh, geographic and cultural uh, world is around us? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm Appalachian American. I'm not ashamed of it. Amen. And I put that on uh, public forums if they'd let me. But, uh, you know, are we simply to view things through that prism? As a believer, let me say this. Everything in our hearts and in our lives is to be reckoned unto and according to the teaching of the Word of God. It does not make us a hate monger to be a Bible believer. Now, I know that may be what we're told, and that may be what we're indoctrinated with, or there's an indoctrination that's attempted in our lives to teach us that. But we understand as Bible believers, if we are nothing more than we ought to be Bible believers, we understand that our worldview should be shaped by what God's Word teaches. If we're going to have the Word of God to be real in our lives, you know a lot of the reason that we struggle with that is because so few of us live the Word of God. We allow the world to shape our principles of behavior. The way we interact with people, the things we say, the things we think, the opinions we have are molded and shaped by the, the millions of pressures that crowd in around us in a world that's hooked up and plugged in but is growing more remote day by day. We allow ourselves to be pushed and molded and shaped by those things. Say, preacher, I don't want to raise my kids that way. I don't either. That's why we need to get back to a biblical worldview. And teaching our young people and teaching our old people that believing the Bible is not criminal, at least not yet in this country, amen, and it's always going to be right. He gives the proper response to these things. Then in verse 27, he gives the profound reason that we have for receiving and reckoning uh, our lives by the Word of God. Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 47. This is what really caught my attention as I studied these verses. He says, For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. Something about the impact of what Moses is saying there. He speaks first off of the worthwhileness of having a biblical worldview and, and living according to the Word of God. And he does it by making a declarative statement, a statement which he does not really try to defend. He does qualify it in a moment, but doesn't really try to defend it. He simply says this, it is not a vain thing for you. It is not pointless to be a Bible believer. It's not pointless to receive the Word of God. Now, let me say this, that is the voice of experience speaking. We understand it is the voice of divine perspective, for it is the inspired Word of God. But we don't want to rob it either of the, the personal experience of the man that God is using to speak these things. Consider Moses' life. This is a man that forsook the riches of Egypt. 
that esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than all of the riches in Egypt. This is a man that had every bit of opportunity and possibility that a man could ask for, uh, that was injected into his life. This is a man that was born without much of a chance. He was born sentenced to death. But through the sovereign providential hand of God, he's exalted from being a toddler with a death sentence to being a prince in the Pharaoh's household. This is a man that very likely, had God not done with his life, What he chose to do with his life, this is a man upon whose head the diadem of Egypt would have sat. Moses left all of those things. He goes and for 40 years he dwells on the backside of a desert. God seems to have gotten silent in his life. And then God speaks to him one day through a burning bush and calls him to go back into Egypt and to to lead God's people out of Egyptian oppression and bondage. Many years have passed since then. In fact, if I read my Bible right, Moses is at the end of his life. You know, Moses was 120 years old, and his life is split into thirds. The first 40 years he spends in Egypt, the next 40 years he spends on the backside of the desert, and the last 40 years he spends leading God's people out of bondage and to the very doorstep of Canaan. And Moses has come to the end of a long life, a life that has been filled with valleys and mountaintops, with failures and with triumphs. And he comes to the end of it and he says this, you know, I look back over my life and I say it's been worthwhile to follow God and to obey His Word. Now, it doesn't take personal experience. Simply the testimony of God is enough for us to believe it. But I don't believe God discounts personal experience, or he could have had any number of men say this, but he speaks of a man who has lived this. He speaks of a man that has given up more for Christ than most people could ever hope to have and lay their hands on. And that man, he says, I gave all that up, and it's been worth it every day. You never go wrong following the Word of God. It's not a vain thing. The world will tell you it is. The world will tell you there's no point. Listen, I feel for parents... How many of you say, Preacher, I I feel for parents today. Uh, You know, young people are raising kids in just a wild world and generation. And there are so many things, that, and I speak from experience here, that you're fearful for your, your children over. And you've got the entire world putting all these pressures to compromise, to move away, to get to give room for the message of the world. And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, it's discouraging sometimes the way that the world bombards you with their message. It gives me great comfort to hear an old man of God at the end of his life say it's been worth it. It was the right thing. It was the right decision. It was a hard stand to take, but I'm glad that I took it. I had to give a lot up, but God's given me more than I ever did give up. And there's people in this room I know that could testify to the same thing, that it's been tough, it's been difficult, there's been dark days, but the good hand of God has walked with me every step of the way. And it's not a vain thing. It's been a good thing. It's been a worthwhile thing to raise your family for the Word of God, to stand for the Word of God, to to mold and shape your your marriage in the eyes of what God would have it to be. I think he speaks of the worthwhileness of this. But then notice this, he speaks of the wisdom of it. Look at this next phrase. This fascinates me. He says, why? Because it is your life. Because it is your life. This is a man that's at the end of his life. And he points to the Word of God and he says, what you do with this law will determine what your life's going to be. I like the emphasis that he he places, or maybe we might say this, the emphasis he doesn't place or gives liberty for us to place. Because when we think of that phrase, because it is your life, just five simple words, 
and we think about the structure of it, if you place emphasis on several of the words, it kind of gives new light to maybe what's being said. Can I, can I give you an example? What if we were to say this, because it is your life. We might say this, that this phrase emphasizes the preeminence that's inherent to the Word of God. Because this book, and only this book, can make your life what it needs to be. I like what the disciples said when Christ asked them, Will ye go also? And they said, Where? Where would we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of life. Who is better to shape your life by? Godless philosophers, many of them who went to an early grave because they couldn't live with what their philosophy had done to their life. The Hollywood starlets. And, uh, you, know, you know, it's kind of getting out of vogue to preach against Hollywood. But you know what I found? Hollywood's just worse today than it's ever been. And sin still sin. And if anything, Hollywood has more of a grip on society today than it did when our granddaddies preached against it. Is it the Hollywood stars and starlets that we ought to mold our life after? Look at the emptiness that their life contains. Most of them are, are so abused and distorted by the environment they live in that they cannot hold a healthy relationship with anyone. And I don't just mean in a marital sense, but I mean with anyone. So many of them estranged from their families. So many of them estranged from those that knew them when they were young. So many of them estranged from spouse after spouse after spouse. The world has polluted and perverted the way they view things. Is that who we want to look to? I'm not even going to get started on the politicians of this world, but much could be said. Where are we going to go for answers? I'd say to you that it, it is your life. This is the only place for the answers. This is the only place. I've never met anyone that lived according to the Bible that wound up in the ditch. Everybody that has made the Bible their life has been the better for it. We might say because it is your life emphasizes the preeminence inherent. But we might say this if we said it this way, because it is your life emphasizes the proper importance that is laid upon it. It really does matter that much. It really does matter that much whether we believe the Bible. A thought occurred to me, and really, I'll be honest, I wasn't musing on the message or anything, but God just put this thought into my mind as I was driving into church tonight. I thought of a, a story, an anecdote, that Dr. Vance Havner once told about his travels to Africa. And uh, he said that as he was there, he, he heard a missionary tell a story. You know how these things go. They go from person to person to person. But the man was walking one day, and he was in a remote village, and he saw a group of little children that were out playing marble on the hard-packed dirt there in the village. And he sat back, and he watched these children play marbles. And he couldn't figure out what it was, but something just appeared strange to him about it. And the more and more that he watched, the more and more he realized it was the marbles they was playing with. Now, most of you played with marbles when you were young. And you know the glass marbles. And so often, you know, you remember the old kind of cruder ones. It'd be a solid color and things of that sort. He noticed that these marbles didn't look like that, but they were clear as crystal. And he got a little closer. And he noticed that these little African villagers had gathered together from somewhere a group of the roundest diamonds that they could find. And there they sat on the floor of this village, flicking diamonds across the dirt and playing marbles with them. And the person told the story and related this, that had they known what they had, 
they would have never treated them that way. Dr. Havner spoke about the responsibilities that you and I carry. I think about young people that are looking to us. And I wonder if we're just playing marbles with diamonds. I think about people in our life, neighbors that we have and co-workers, people that the only bit of Christ that they'll ever see is what they see in us. And yet we live so flippantly. And I wonder if we're playing marbles with diamonds. I look at the opportunities that God gives us to witness to those that are around us. I see the responsibilities that we have, especially the little ones, to be a witness to them, to show them the love of God and the love of Christ. And someone that can't be bought at the world's prices and someone that can't be swayed by the winds of the world. And yet we allow any and everything to knock us off course. Get out of church, quit reading our Bible, quit praying, act ugly, get in the flesh. I wonder if we're playing marbles with diamonds. You know, when we consider what is being said here, people say, does it really matter, preacher? Does it really matter if I let my kids dress like the other kids? Does it really matter? Is it really going to make a difference? Does it really matter, preacher, if I let my kids listen to the same music that the other kids listen? Does it really matter if I let my kids lay out every now and then to go to a ball game or to, to stay home and watch a movie? That, does that really matter, preacher? Does that really matter in the scope of their life? Moses says it is your life. These decisions we're making, that's what our life is. And one day we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, I really didn't take this thing serious as I should have been. I think it emphasizes the proper importance, but I think if we change it around a little, it might just emphasize the personal interest that we have in it. He says this, because it is your life. Your life. It's not anyone else's life. It's your life. Our decisions most definitely affect everyone around us. But they affect us supremely more than they affect anyone else around us. And the reality is this. It is your life to do with what you please. But that means also that it's your life to make a wreck of. And let me just remind you of this. You only get one. You only get one. There's no do-overs. You don't get to start up. You only get one. This day that we're living, February whatever it is. I don't even know what day it is that we're sitting here today. We only get one of these. You made a decision to come to the house of God. I'm glad you did. I think that was the right decision. The people that are not around us tonight, I'm not fussing, I'm grateful for those that are here, but the people that are not around us tonight, they don't get to do this over again. God may be gracious, they may get another Wednesday to do something right with it, but they don't get this one back. This is your life. And you only get one of them. So you better make sure you're doing the right thing with it. That's one of the reasons it's so important to have a biblical worldview. Well, I want you to notice one more thing, and I'll close. I had more, but I'm not going to labor where the Holy Ghost don't want me to. Look at verse 47. Look at the end. Look what he says. He says, and through this thing. Through what thing? Well, back in verse 46. Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Through this thing, through doing this. Ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, preacher, now the first few verses, I get it, that had to do with me, but this has nothing to do with me. I'm not in Israel. I'm not interested in Canaan. I've never been over the river Jordan. Preacher, what does this have to do with me? Well, I think Moses speaks to the promised result of this. 
He's talking about what it's going to mean for their life if they obey and live according to the Word of God. But I believe there's an application to your life and mine. You see, as you study the history of the nation of Israel, I know that we like to sing songs that talk about Canaan, you know, heaven is Canaan. And, and that's fine. I, listen, there's, there's enough dead music out there. I'm not going to nitpick good music. Somebody say amen after that. But we sing to Canaan's land, I'm on my way, and things of that sort. But if you study your Bible carefully, you'll find this, that Canaan was never a picture of heaven. Canaan had giants. I hope there's no giants when I get to heaven. I hope Bill Collins is there. But other than Bill, you know, and Ted, Ted Cooper, I hope Ted's there. But, I mean, I hope there's not giants to fight when we get there. I hope there's not armies occupying heaven when I get there. Now, as we study our Bible, we understand that Canaan is never a picture of heaven. What Canaan is a picture of, though, is the life that God had for the nation of Israel to live. If they would grab hold of it, if they'd press for it, if they'd appropriate God's will in their life and grab hold of God's promises, then they didn't have to live as a nomadic people. They didn't have to wander through the desert never having a home. There'd be a place where every man could sit under his vine, a place where every man could have his own home, a place where they could enjoy the blessing that God had for them. And you know... When we look at our lives, we understand this to be true as well. Though every one of us, if we know Christ, we know we're going to heaven. Not everybody is going to find and live and enjoy the will of God for their lives. There's plenty of people that live in constant discouragement. There's plenty of people that mess up and fail. There's plenty of people that play marbles with diamonds and get to the end of their life and look back and say, I wasted everything that God had for me. But I believe that just as Moses promised them this, I think for us that there is a guaranteed result. If we'll live according to the Word of God, we can guarantee a result of possessing the land that God has for us. We can enjoy living in victory. And I'll go ahead and tell you, part of living in victory is fighting battles. I'm not saying you're never going to have problems again. I'm not saying there's never going to be difficult days again. But I am saying this, that there's blessings in Canaan that God has for us that we'll never enjoy if we won't go over the other side of Jordan. If we won't live according to the Word of God, we won't enjoy those blessings in our lives. We won't enjoy the, the living of in victory that God has for you and I. The consistent and deep and real fellowship that God would love to have with you and I. But you know what? If we'll set our hearts unto all these words, we can enjoy those things. We can live that way. One of the things that God has burdened my heart with lately, to, to tell God's people this, and I, listen, I know that sounds a little kooky and like it come out of God post or something, but I, one of the things that I believe God has laid on my heart to share with God's people is that you can live the Christian life. We spend so much time preaching on the wilderness that we stay in the wilderness. We spend so much time preaching on failure and defeat and what you do after you've messed up. And there's a place for that because we're all going to fail and we're all going to mess up. And there's times like that in our lives. I understand that. But do you understand that it's dysfunctional to always spin your wheels in the dirt? It's dysfunctional to never grow in your Christian life. It's dysfunctional to battle the same sin over and over and over and over again. I'm telling you right now, God will still love you, but you sure won't love living that way. But if we'll live according to the Word of God, if we'll allow it to, to, to enter and penetrate our hearts, not just our heads, if we'll say, God, what are you telling me tonight on this Wednesday, dreary, rainy night? What are you telling me? Then I believe we can enjoy the blessings that God has for us spiritually and live the life He'd have us to live. And then I want you to notice one final thing. I think there's a promised result of possessing the land. 
But look at this next phrase. This is interesting. He says, Whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm being critical of the Word of God, because I'm not. But wouldn't that sort of seem like a redundant statement? I mean, if you're sitting there, there's about two million people or so, give or take, Jews that are in this party of people. And I'm pretty sure it didn't take long till they all knew what the plan was. In fact, God and Moses had time and again told them that they are going to Canaan to possess that land. They know where they're at. They know where the River Jordan is. They know where God wants them to be. So why is it that God had Moses to say, you've got to go over Jordan to possess it, or you are going over Jordan to possess the land? Why would God do that? I'd say this, that there's a promised result of possessing the land, but I'd say there's the promised result of a purposed life that God has for us. You know what he's saying? He's saying, it'll do you no good to go over Jordan if you can't possess the land. The whole reason you're going over Jordan is so that you can possess the land. So why would you go over there and not live according to God's law and enjoy the blessings that God has for you? You say, that's silly, preacher. Nobody would do that. Well, sure they would. Sure they would. Lots of Christians do that today. God didn't save you just to get you a seat in heaven. God saved you to justify you, to change your life. Not just to change your eternity, but to change your present. And to give you a life that was worth living. And a life with purpose. And I know plenty of, plenty of Christians that they got saved, man. They walked down the aisle at a VBS and they meant it. It was real. I mean, they got on their knees. They confessed they were a sinner. They got saved. But somewhere between then and now, they've got off track. And they're just trying to make it to the next paycheck, to the next event, to the next job, to the next whatever it is. And they live totally devoid of any real purpose in their life. They're just like a pinball, bouncing around a pinball machine. They're just kind of bouncing around, aimlessly making their way through, hoping one of these days the paddle hits them just right enough till they wind up scoring and winding up where they want to be. But there's no real purpose for their life. They're just trying to go along to get along and make it from week to week. I want to tell you tonight, you don't have to live like that. You can live every day in the presence of an almighty God. You can live every day understanding this is a day that God has designed for me to do something for Him. And I don't just have to make it from sun up to sundown. I don't just have to make it from, from leaving my pillow to, to meeting my pillow. I can live my life with purpose today, knowing that the God of all heaven has laid this day out for me. And it's not just to go in and put eight hours in. It's not just to, to earn another paycheck. It's not just to go and get the kids to soccer practice and get the, the, the kids to dance recital or whatever it might be. God has laid this day out so that I can do something for Him and for His glory. Moses says, after all, that's the reason you're going over Jordan. And I'd say to you tonight, after all, that's the reason God saved you. That's the reason you came to Him, because your life was not what it should have been and could never be what it should be. You came to Him because you couldn't do it and you needed Him. So why all of a sudden do we no longer need Him anymore? We can just close that Bible and lay it to the side. Well, the truth is we need Him more today than we did then. You see, then He was our God. Now He's our life's blood. Then He was our judge. Now He's our justifier. And He's our Father. And we need Him more today than we've ever needed Him. And we need to live for Him more today than we've ever needed to live for Him. 
And so how we treat the Word of God is going to determine. That's the reason God saved you. I hope you're living that way. If you're not, you don't have to go another day not living that way. But you have to be willing to give and yield to God the areas of your life that He's asked for. I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about in this service. The things God brought to your mind that He said, that's what I want. That's what I'm after. That's what's causing a hindrance in our relationship. You have to yield to Him. You have to give those things to Him. And if you'll do that, you know what you'll find? You'll find you'll live the life that God has for you. You'll live with the purpose that God has for you. You'll find you'll be the better for you. It's not a vain thing. It's not a vain thing. You know why? Because it's your life. So here's the question. What are you going to do with your life? It starts tonight. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed.